Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast, the show where we zoom in on the latest tech news, products, and trends. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we're talking augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality with special guest, Elena Peach. But before we get to that, we have quick news, and of course, our Go Review segment, where I'll be reviewing the Aperture MC RGB WW LED light. But first, of course, quick news. So Gabe, roll that intro. And welcome to Quick News, where we talk about what's new, what's news, and what could be new in the world of tech. This week, wow, summer is heating up, and the tech sphere of new products and rumors of products is its boiling at this point, right? Uh, we're like overflowing. I'm overwhelmed. It's incredible. It's actually quite great. Gabe, what yeah. new products do we have? So first off, we have the Canon R6 and R5. Now, this is, yeah, this is a new product. We already talked about it on a bonus episode, so I'm not really going to talk much about it here. If you did miss that, go back to our previous episode, which is you know appropriately titled Bonus R6 and R5 or whatever we title it exactly. But long short of it, you got the R6, $2,500 about, and that will be 4K 60 FPS video. You have the R5 for about 4,000, and that's gonna be 8K video raw. Uh, the major update we did see is that there appears to be a lot of reports of overheating with these two cameras. So. That is something I, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much. I did say, hey, people, you might want to, you know, not jump on the pre-orders and not, you know, commit fully to these right now because it's really going to depend what happens when people get their hands on these and start using them, you know, and actually how you use products. But it's not a big deal. We kind of expected it. So I guess it's, you know, a, a moot point there, right? Yeah. I mean, I did pre-order. I, I'm still yeah. fine with you're my looking R6. A little, you're looking a little sheepish Yeah, you're right like, now. you're just like eyeing me right there. Calling I think it's okay. I, I do think you are going to want to take into consideration the heat limits if you are purchasing these. The good thing is the camera will display how much record time you have remaining, taking into consideration uh, the overheating issues. But I think we had some other exciting camera news. So Gabe, please continue. Yeah, if you thought 8K was cool and Canon was all sitting back on their laurels like, yeah, we're... You know, we have 8K video cameras now. Well, Blackmagic just said, all right, Canon, hold my beer. We're going to update our Ursa Mini 4K, or 4.6K, sorry, to now an Ursa Mini Pro 12K camera. This is nuts. This is like an 80 we need, we need megapixel like a, we camera. We need like a bass drop, mic drop, something there, because that is insane. Yeah, an 80 megapixel Super Cinema 35 sensor. So not full frame, unfortunately, but still 80 megapixels is what's required to do 12K. And you know, most people won't probably use actually 12K footage on an output, but what it's intended for is you can shoot 12K, have a bunch of information there for if you're doing VFX, if you're wanting to export at 8K or 4K, you can crop in, or even if you're 1080p, oh my God, you crop in so much. And what's incredible is also the frame rate. So it does 12K at 60 frames a second. That's insane. <laughs> I like that's that's we just got 4K at 60 and they're doing 12K at 60. What? It also also does 8K at 110 frames a second and 4K at 220 frames a second. So, this is a beast of a camera. It does come with a beast of a price tag as well a bit. $9,999. But if you compare it to cameras from Red, which have similar specs that cost around $50,000, this actually looks like a really good deal. This camera looks absolutely next level. And I think what's really incredible here is Blackmagic is controlling the entire creation pipeline. 
from the image sensor to the Blackmagic RAW codec to the editing software. I mean, they have the whole package here. No one else has been able to do this. I, I wish I had an excuse to get this. It looks absolutely incredible. I can help you. I'm very good at developing excuses. Uh, Gabe, that's stuff. what I like to hear. Yeah. Uh, and finally, the last real new product that we got was Logitech uh, released a Mac-only version of their popular MX Master 3 mouse and MX Keys keyboard. Now, I think you use their MX 3 Master mouse, right? Yep, I'm on the new MX Master mouse version 3. Uh, yeah, you probably do not want to or do not have the need to update to this new version because while it's, yeah, it's a new version, it's Mac only, it's the same price. It does come with a new USB-C to USB-C cable, which is kind of nice, but it actually doesn't include the unifying receiver, which you can plug into your computer and quickly connects. And the only other real thing you're getting is it's kind of the same color as the Mac with that, you know, dark gray color scheme, so... That's a really curious update. I actually think the yeah. unifying receiver is important because sometimes it's more reliable than Bluetooth. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the main reasons you'd get a, a Logitech thing. The thing is, most people probably have multiples of those already if they've bought Logitech products for a while. So no need really, I guess. But yeah, it's just kind of a more putting it out there, trying to price it up for Mac users. Actually, two more little thing releases, new products. We got a 12 to 24 f 2.8 lens from sony which landscape photographers are just foaming at the mouth over it looks gorgeous it also is three thousand dollars and we also saw small hd drop some new five inch monitors that are pro and more rugged and are intended to have controls that will work with red cameras so that's it for new products though now moving on to news we have some interesting tidbits here first YouTube is finally letting creators know exactly how much money they're making on YouTube with a new metric called RPM or revenue per thousand views. Now this gives you a really clear picture at how much you are making as a creator. It takes out all of the earnings that YouTube has and shows you exactly what money you are making from your videos, which is really cool. We have Superstrata unveiling the world's first 3D printed unibody electric bike, a big pedal forward for the oh, electric tons. commuter world. <laughs> and uh, we also have Amazon. They developed a new shopping cart. Amazon seems to be very into shopping. That's that's what I've decided. They have a new shopping cart and it lets you check out without a cashier. The idea here is you no longer need the sensors in an Amazon Go store. The sensors are built into the shopping cart now with a touchscreen tablet and other sensors. And you basically get your own separate checkout lane. You go through with your items in your cart and you pay with your Amazon account. Next up, uh, Twitter. We had a lot of Twitter news. I mean, there's a huge Twitter hack. Oh yeah, I sent some Bitcoin to someone, uh, to Elon Musk to get doubled on Twitter. Oh, so, that's... Um, that was exciting news That's for me. That's great. I haven't gotten it back yet, but... Oh, I, God. Uh, well, yeah, What were you talking about? So hackers actually uh, hacked over 100, no, 130 accounts on Twitter where they tweeted to get people to send Bitcoin and have it sent oh, back. Oh, no, that doesn't sound good for me. That does not sound good for you. Uh, but yeah, so basically what happened, Twitter was hacked. Uh, we believe this had something to do with a back end, possibly a Twitter employee being inside on this or somehow compromised or tricked or something. All we know is the hackers got about 13 Bitcoin, roughly $120,000. They hacked about 130 accounts. And uh, they basically tweeted, as we said, like, send Bitcoin to this address and we'll double it, something like that. Uh, Twitter definitely working on it. We're waiting to see what they have to say about it. Uh, and other Twitter news, uh, they 
uh, we believe, yeah, we believe the hackers may have uh, had someone on the inside. So I think that's that's it for Twitter. Moving on to Facebook now, uh, we have some interesting news relating to this podcast, and it's that Oculus is boosting its VR headset production to 2 million units this year, a 50% annual jump. And we also have Sony increasing their PlayStation production targets by 50%, indicating people could be getting into gaming, more time at home. Maybe people are looking for an escape into virtual reality. We'll have to wait and see. And also, Facebook is preparing to launch their TikTok competitor, conveniently timed with the possible ban of TikTok in some countries. I haven't heard too well, much about Instagram's this. planning on launching their TikTok competitor. Ah, I think, okay. I think Facebook Instagram... already has Facebook already has something called Loops. I'm pretty sure, or or something. Wasn't it? I, yeah, they yeah. already have something just by Facebook, but. Instagram is owned by Facebook, and Instagram is so planning on both. launching a TikTok competitor. Also, Snapchat is supposedly also planning on launching a TikTok kind of interface for sharing public content. So, yeah, they're planning on banning TikTok maybe in the U.S. That's a rumor. They already did in India, and companies are jumping at this to say, yep, we want to be there. They want the user engagement. They want the eyeballs. And lastly, I'm a big fan of 5G. I wanted to throw this in there for all of you 5G people. As of July 8th, the U.S. has 5G deployments in 6,087 cities and towns. T-Mobile has the most. They cover 94% of those cities. AT&T, 237 deployments of 5G. Verizon lagging behind with just 39 deployments. That's your 5G Pr- update. Proud Verizon customer here without a 5G phone. So, And it turns out it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Yep, but Gabe, exactly. take us home with some of the rumors upcoming in tech. All right, yeah, you know, I, I realize we did start off the episode or this quick news segment with a bit of a hype of uh, how summer's heating up, and then we had a very underwhelming new product kind of part of this quick news, so fret not. The rest is in the rumors. First off, we got some major launch dates now. OnePlus Nord launch. This is their budget phone from OnePlus. This will be, actually, by the time you're listening, it could be out. It's July 21st it will be launched, and the big thing, yeah, budget phone, you're like, ho-hum right but who, who really cares well i guess yeah who really cares i don't it's know that, everyone who's that like trying to save money gabe but you saw how much hype the iphone se got and this is going to probably be next level they are estimating that you know this phone's going to come in under 500 dollars. oneplus has said it will have six cameras on it of some sort you know that could be depth sensing or color spectrum whatever and it will actually have 5g thanks to the 756 snapdragon processor so do we know if that covers all spectrums? My guess is it's only low band 5G. It probably is, but still 5G in some forms, at least it's something. It's and a way under for, 500 bucks. Like it's that's... a way for cell phone companies to charge more too as well. But that's the cynical look there. Uh, it will also have a 90 hertz display. So I'm really excited to see that. We're seeing some of those more premium features trickle down to budget phones. Always exciting. Next up, though, and this is the big one for me. This is this oh, has Gabe, like finally. I have. 80 reminders set on the day. I have all the timers set down to my house to end on this time. Sony finally revealed the date they will be announcing the A7. Gosh, I'm going to cry. S3. <laughs> Just give him, give, give him a moment. He's, oh he's getting emotional God. right I'm now. I'm getting emotional right now. This is him. Wow. This is going to be coming July 28th. Uh, it's probably only going to be the Sony S3. I have a reason to feel why I think they could release other cameras maybe later or even at this event, but I think the Sony S3 deserves its own event, so that's really fine with me. Rumored specs are continuing to pour in. Honestly, we'll probably get shots of the camera before the event comes out, but the big things you have to know for now is it's likely to have 4K at 120 FPS, 
10-bit 422 recording, 600 megabits per second bitrate, 15 stops of dynamic range, and a 16-bit raw photos. It will have that capability. Notably, now this is the big thing, they went with a 12 megapixel sensor still. And you could be like, 2020, what are you doing with yeah, a 12 dude, megapixel sensor, right? my phone has a 64 megapixel we just, sensor. We just mentioned, yeah, the Blackmagic 12K has an 80 megapixel sensor. What is Sony doing? But I think this, you know, we talked about the R5 and R6 having overheating issues. This is key because Sony with the 12 megapixel sensor, it is rumored they are not going to have any recording limit and have no overheating issues even when recording 4K 120 FPS. I think this is the absolute right move from Sony. This is a camera for video creators. This is going to have the recording features they need. And I think with the larger pixels, they're getting better low light performance. Oh, yeah. And they're going to be able to deliver a cleaner, sharper image in a wider variety of shooting scenarios. And 4K 120, like, yes, please. This this sounds very, very awesome. exciting. And did you mention yeah, the well. articulating screen? I don't, I don't know if I want to mention that because we don't really know what form that's going to take. There is rumored to be some version I think it'll of be, it's going to be ripped from the ZV-1. I think we've already you, seen it. We know what to expect. Take the, okay. Yep. That's well, exactly. Th- th- I think that's exciting. I, I'm honestly pretty fine with the current setup for Sony screens, though when vlogging, it is super annoying, I will admit. So I would like to see something like that. And yeah, that would be nice to see, but I'm not going to set my hopes too high. I'm just happy for whatever comes. Next up, because we're not done yet, there's still more things. Oof. August 5th, Samsung has set the date for their, what do they call it? They're usually Note 20, or their Unpacked? Unpacked, yeah. It's a Samsung Unpacked event. And this will be, of course, as you said, the Note 20 on August 5th. We'll see a couple versions of it announced, most likely. And all of them, though, will be geared towards being not as expensive as the S20 was uh, back in February, because that was super overpriced for what it was. I think we'll also see. I yeah, think Samsung Galaxy realized too that oh, people they couldn't afford did. it. Uh, but they yeah, I guess did. now you have the Fold 2, so continue. You'll see the Fold 2, which will supposedly not have integration with the S Pen because they don't want to damage the screen, but be an update overall. We'll also possibly see a 5G variant of the Galaxy Z Flip, a new version of the S3 smartwatch, and the Galaxy S7 tablet. So a bunch of exciting stuff coming from Samsung. So if you're a Samsung user, hold off buying anything new for a little bit because there's new stuff around the corner. Yeah, you want to see what's coming, and, and quite honestly... Prices are dropping on the used market, so something to consider. And finally, we saw some leaked images of an unreleased Google Nest smart speaker. Uh, These were leaked accidentally. I'm not sure what site actually leaked them, but then eventually Google just outright just tweeted them and even put it a video up of this. uh, Well, not it wasn't of the product. It was kind of like the product was in the background. Yeah, it was a teaser. Either way, yeah, it looks like an update to the original Google Home. Something like that. I would describe it as if you took the Google Home Max... And you shrunk it okay. down. It's like a smaller yep. speaker of that. And from what we can tell, it looks like it has maybe a wireless dock. Like this speaker can be detached and has a battery. And it's kind of like a Bose sound link color, like one of those. And you can bring it with you. Hmm. And then you can put it back kind of on a, a dock. Maybe it's vertical. Maybe it's on its side. We, I don't know. It's it's like a unique Google product. So we're waiting to get those details confirmed. Yeah, but we should see that most likely sometime in the fall, I would guess. Maybe September. Or maybe all the way to October when Google usually announces their new smartphones. Hopefully sooner, though, because they didn't really have a Google I.O. that launched a ton of stuff. So maybe they'll 
put some stuff out in August. Yeah, and I, I think speaking of Google, the last rumor I wanted to mention was the Pixel 4a. They uh, Pixel 4a, is that even a rumor? They, yeah, they, Google just point? like low-key leaked it on their, what was it, the Canadian website? Yep, exactly. I can't believe it. Yeah, there's not much exciting with that, though. I mean, the OnePlus Nord, honestly, is a more exciting budget phone. And that ties in nicely kind of with our event because the Nord oh. launch event is they're doing an AR event where you can see it in augmented reality. So I think I think that'll be yeah. really cool. This will look really interesting. I think you have to pay, though, to attend it. Is that right? I'm not sure. I think my understanding right now is people who pre-ordered, without knowing anything about the phone, they got oh, an yeah, invite to attend the launch event. I'm unsure what else is going around. I should have been on the ball in the smartphone world. I was doing other things. I'm hoping to learn more soon. But I think, I think the Android world is really going to be excited about it. That's my take. Yep. Budget phones for the win. So that's it for quick news, though. Uh, hopefully we kept you up to date. And by the time we release this, hopefully there's not like five new items launched or something. But never know. That's the way the tech world works. So moving on, we have Go Review. Now, Go Review is the segment where one of us asks, asks the other to review a product or a service, really anything that's somewhat tech related. We've had, what have we had in the past? We've had TikTok reviewed. We've had uh, the DJI Mavic Air 2 I reviewed, Stetson reviewed the S20 smartphone. It's been all over the place, but on the last episode, I did review uh, the best cloud storage out there, so you can go back and listen to that if you're interested. And then I asked Stetson, hey, you know, you're lighting yourself on this call that we're doing over Zoom with currently with the Aperture MC, how do you, what's the name of it? It is the Aperture so MC RGB WW LED light. Yep. I said, I said, yeah, Stetson, that's the, that's the light that you're using. Uh, can you give us a review of that? You know, it's been super popular. It's $99. Yeah, it starts at actually $90. The problem is that it's sold out in most places. So sometimes yeah. I bought mine for $120. Uh, thankfully, on Facebook Marketplace, I was able to find someone who had it. So, so yeah, I said, Stetson, review this light. And now, after the long wait, we are here for the review. So, Stetson, what have you got for us? Yeah, so welcome to the Go Review. Gabe, you can't see this, and I'm just going to describe it in an audio format for the listeners out there. This is going to be available on the Pinch to Zoom YouTube channel if you're interested in, in seeing a visual of what I'm talking about. But this is it. This is the Aperture MC RGB WW LED light, and you can see it comes in this box. Included is the light itself. You also get a nice little carrying pouch that comes with some adhesive strips and a little light dome to cover and diffuse the light. And I think we should really talk about the light itself because this is really the star of the show. It has on one side, you have an on-off switch. What I love about this is it's instant. It's instant on, instant off. You're not pressing and holding a button. You're not waiting for a startup screen. None of that jazz. You also have a USB Type-C input for charging and power. What's really nice is you can actually power this over USB Type-C for infinite record limits. And then you also have a clicky wheel, similar to what you would find on a camera for selecting your aperture or shutter speed, but you can click to select it. And at the top, you have a display where you can change the hue and the saturation and the intensity. So that's that's a brief overview of the light. It has very strong magnets on the back. It's about the size, here's a phone for a comparison. It's about the size, it's a little bit bigger than maybe an iPhone SE, something like that. And yeah, I, I think, in terms of use, this is really phenomenal. It puts out, uh, from my testing, about 800 lumens of light. And I think it's rated for like, let me see if I can pull up the exact spec here. Uh, it's rated for a certain, uh, it's rated for 96 
CRI, I believe, in terms of color accuracy for skin tones. And I think, yeah, yeah it's just a compact, great little device uh, for lighting and for adding a little bit of splash of color to your scene. So I know, I know a lot of people use it on set, even if you already have super expensive lights that you don't really need other stuff, they use it as a practical sometimes. So yeah, adding a splash of color or even putting in you know, a lampshade to put a light there. Yeah, you can, uh, so it can it uh, like slide into the back and the magnets that. make it great. So you can, you know, it, it's really I strong. Think they actually, I think they actually even use stuff like this on, you know, like carpool karaoke for the people in the back seat. They tape them to the headrests of the seats in front of them. Get some extra lighting uh, so back they, there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, only at $90, this is super versatile. I really like it. It doesn't flicker in video. That's something I had a problem with with my Philips Hue lights they would flicker in video. This one, no flicker problems. And interestingly, how it does that, I think, is it uses a random refresh rate, I'm pretty sure. That right? sounds, yeah, that sounds really cool. That's, I, I believe So it. rather than like, you know, consistently 120 times per second doing it, it's doing it randomly throughout that, you know, certain number of milliseconds between refreshes. One question I had, you might be getting to it, is what's the battery life on this thing? Yeah, so for my testing, I think the battery life is somewhere around two hours. And uh, I found basically it works perfectly fine for A-roll. Like if I'm doing an A-roll, 45 minutes, max brightness, totally fine for something like that. I it would probably go for, again, I think up to two hours. Um, and if you're doing something more intensive, like for my B-roll, I know I, that takes me a little bit longer. For that, I do want to have it plugged in. It does get hot and warm to the touch. It's never shut off on me. It does have wireless that, charging. That's really impressive. Yeah, I will say as, as someone who has the loom cubes and I also have a Luxly light. Both of those are constantly overheating on me and I'll be in the middle of the shoot and they'll just shut off. This this so. doesn't have this problem. It's never yeah. shut off on me and it does also have some effects. My take on the effects is you'll see a YouTuber like demo them and you'll be like, oh yeah, that's like kind of cool. I'll, I'll use those maybe. Never, you'll never use those. I've actually used the fire effect once. I had some friends over for a socially distanced bonfire and it was too it was too hot to light a fire and so i just popped that in there with a external battery bank and we were good to go so it was it was kind of cool the last thing i think i really want to talk about here and what sold me on the aperture light let me actually just pop it well i need it on but let me turn the brightness down a little bit so we can see a little bit better on camera for those of you watching in video format the other big thing is the application and i would describe this as something similar to a philips hue application where you can basically connect to your light wirelessly and manage it like you would sort of a Philips Hue setup. And this works great for okay. if you're in your studio, you can control the color wirelessly with your phone. You get a color wheel, you can choose the exact value. What works great for me is you can save presets. So I do a lot of carrier reviews and uh, let's say I'm reviewing T-Mobile. I can go into my presets tab and I can find my T-Mobile preset, tap OK and boom, I'm getting consistent lighting for all of my T-Mobile videos that I do now and in the future. You know what'd be really great? If they had like some light bulbs out that you could also maybe like, you know, Philips Hue has theirs. And if they had light bulbs for Aperture that also kind of plugged into this app. Well, Gabe, right? I mean, you should just explain yourself because they have those, but they rebranded. Yeah, it's the- They're available? It's the <laughs> you can buy them? Okay, well, it's I, I'm curious to see if your A7S III or my lights come out first. All right, okay, all right, um, now we're going back. But yeah, so the, they have the Aperture. They were called the RC LED lights. They were rebranded. Gabe, you have a great article on your website about that. I can't remember the rebrand's name. I think it's I think it's the BS7, I'm pretty sure. That sounds something like something weird BC7, like that. BC7, BC7C, I think, yeah. B7C, I think is what it is, actually. 
But all the aperture lights coming out now, I think, should work with this Citus Link app, they right? They do. So you can you could have a full setup of like 20 lights and they all mesh network together over Bluetooth and then you can control them all. It's really incredible. And this works with their uh, bigger lights too. So you can have your, uh, you know, your key light and then maybe your- 300D. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. this app is what sold me on the Aperture MC LED light. It makes my life so much easier not having to get in an awkward position to look at the- How easy is it to pair? Oh, it's so easy. It's like pairing Bluetooth okay. headphones and you do it once yeah. and then the app will auto connect every time consistently. That's nice. It's super, super nice. Now they do sell, they sell a kit of these, right? They do. You four can get a kit. kit of four of them. And what's interesting is the kit will take advantage of the wireless charging on the back and it will charge the lights when you set them down in the carrying case. I that's but like all, it also runs you five yeah five hundred dollars for four yeah, lights so it's expensive so it's yeah ninety dollars a light and then a kit for or a, I guess the case for like one hundred and fifty or so I think that's yeah. that's gonna be it for me I mean the highlights is the instant on instant off the application the wheel on the side I actually find annoying because it's easy to accidentally brush your hand against it and all of a sudden you change color temperature or something like that but overall for what you're getting for ninety dollars. Easy recommendation. I highly recommend adding this to your studio. Have kit. you used it for photography too? I, I have used it for capturing some photos, just adding a splash of color in there. And yeah. it's really good for accenting that. I actually want to get another one so you can get kind of two tones going on. Maybe, I don't know, a blue and orange or something like that. The interesting thing I would think would be maybe comparing or looking for people who have comparisons between these and the really popular like RGB tube lights. Well, I think... Which, you know... Again, what Companies sold me like was the Nan, the Nan Light has those out that are like the six C's that are only a hundred dollars as well. And like, which is a better one? Because the the tubes are a little bigger, right? But they provided more diffused light potentially. It's true. Whereas something like that's a little more accent, it's accented and sharp, but it's smaller. Well, as you well. do get a diffuser dome included. I've noticed this really helps, but it makes the light overall dimmer, as yeah, you would expect. Uh, but ultimately, for me, the application is what made this perfect for my setup and the I, I can't emphasize enough how satisfying it is just having instant on instant off whereas i know with some of the lights you do have to like press and hold wait for it to start up yeah that's really an interesting thing and you're right because i know with the luxly one i press it and it takes about one second before it actually comes fully yeah on. this is this is just so. instant and the usb type c uh -huh. everything about this is just well thought out well designed the biggest problem it's sold out so it may be hard to Good get. Good luck getting one. Yeah, we just talked about a product that's so great, and now you can't get it. I know. I had to go on Facebook Marketplace to get mine, but definitely you know, add it to your wish list on B&H or elsewhere so you get that in-stock notification. But I think that's it. That's the Aperture MC RGB LED light. Gabe, do you have any questions? I mean... I feel like I tried to cover as much as possible about this light. No, I think you you did a good, very good, thorough uh, go review. I like it. You know, we'd been having these really huge comparisons the past couple ones between like which service is better for cloud storage. Or I think you had, what did I give you? Uh, browsers. I, did I had to do browsers. browsers. I did streaming products. Yeah. So this is a nice focused one and you above and beyond for what I expected. So thank you very much for that review, Stetson. Do you have... Uh, something for me to go review on our next episode. Yeah, Gabe. So I loved your idea of returning to products. And I think given the current environment we are in, there's a product that uh, you may have used it a couple of times. And I feel like you, it may be worth just a review for the next episode, considering what's coming out. And it's the A7 III. I'd love to get, I know it's an older camera, but I know you switched from the A7S II 
So I feel like you can provide input on that to the three. And then when we get the A7S three, I think everything will just be rounded out so nicely. Will our, I don't think our next episode will be out until after the uh, S3 is announced. Though, That's what so. I'm saying. So it'll be announced. We'll have the details. And then you can... Okay, so I can contrast yeah, between... Okay. Yeah, so like, should you get the hybrid photo video? Should you go for the all video one? You know, or should you wait for an updated A7 IV? Maybe. Yeah, exactly. That's something I didn't talk about actually in Go Rumors, but I think they'll drop since this is only a 12 megapixel A7 S3. I think we'll see in the future either maybe an A7 IV, an A7 R5, or an A9 Mark III. I think they're on for that. That will be higher resolution and will have 6K recording possibly, or even 8K recording. So. I, thank you. I'll, I'll set out. Um, I, well, I use it all the time, and I've used it a ton already, but I'll set out compiling my thoughts for that review on our next episode. Very welcome. And that is going to be it for quick news. Now on to the main topic. We're going to call our special guest in here on Zencaster, Elena Peach. All right. Let me get that uh, the fax machine up. I think we're calling her on today, right? Yes, that is, so that's what we're using. Dial in the number on the fax machine Zencaster. And we'll get her on the phone to talk about some AR and VR. All right, so here we are on Zencaster with Elena on the line. Elena, how are you doing today? You know, I'm um, trying to make the most of my quarantine. I'm currently isolated in a cabin in the middle of the woods in Washington. That actually sounds pretty great. Not gonna lie. It's wait, is that in is that in VR or <laughs> actual? Well, that's the weird reality. thing because ooh, good point, Gabe. <laughs> I spend a lot of time in my VR headset, and so you know. I don't know why I really wanted to, because so prior to the pandemic, I was based in New York City. And then when everything started to get, you know, really hectic, I left the city in March and, you know, did a total 360 and went from New York to a cabin in the woods. Um, But I still spend a lot of time in VR. But when I'm in VR, I tend to be in more, uh, I'd say, like futuristic experiences, you know, and dystopian games and things like that. And then I have the cabin and it's just nature and the sound of a river. That's that's actually a really hilarious, like, uh contrast between those two environments i saw on linkedin that you're now working for the glimpse group can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing for them or what they're doing yeah so the glimpse group is a virtual reality and augmented reality platform company comprised of nine different subsidiaries and they're all focused on developing business to business or business to business to consumer VR and AR experiences. Um, So we don't make video games, but we're doing things like focusing on VR and AR for corporate training, uh, for K through 12 education, for higher education, for healthcare. So pretty much anything that's not video games, we kind of dabble in. Um, And it's just a really fun environment. Uh, We were based in New York City and we had plans to kind of open up a second branch in potentially the Boston area. But the pandemic has put a little bit of a pause on that plan. But I think we're really making the most out of being remote right now. Right. Sure. I mean, yeah, that sounds really awesome, actually. Like, you're kind of doing everything to some degree. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even speaking to the whole VR AR ecosystem as a whole, like Facebook in 2014, they acquired Oculus. And Facebook is really, with Oculus, one of the huge, huge, huge players in the game. You know, their VR research lab is the one of the best and biggest out there. Um, but... They have a lot of people, whereas for us, since we're more of a startup and we're smaller, uh, I'm enjoying it just because my day-to-day tends to look very different. And so doing things like marketing or things kind of looking at UI UX or even just talking to potential clients and seeing what they can do with the technology. And so, yeah, my day-to-day varies. And I'd say that that's something that's true for a lot of the people that work at Glimpse. Is your uh, company more 
enterprise facing and more towards businesses or working just in research or uh, consumers? Yeah, we're more enterprise facing. Um, and so, you know, corporate training software for businesses, or if it is something for consumers, then we're working with a brand to design the experience. And so, for example, one of our subsidiaries, they're called QReal, and they do a lot of high end or high quality AR experiences on social media for brands or on the internet for brands. And so they've worked with Panera to make certain food items on Panera's menu viewable in AR, or they've worked with Nissan to do an AR banner ad, which is actually something that Google just publicly released about uh, two weeks ago. And so, and sorry that I'm getting into the details, but it's just, there's so much going on in the space and I just get really excited to talking oh, about okay. it. Uh, but so, about a year ago, Google released a beta version for their Swirl ad. And essentially think of a Swirl ad as your typical banner ad that you would see when you're on a website, except instead of it being something that's flat and 2D, you can interact with it. And so they worked with a couple companies to do kind of proof of concepts for what banner ads could be. And one of the companies that they worked with was QReal, which was one of our subsidiaries. And we worked with Nissan to make a banner ad that was viewable you know, online. And essentially it was a vehicle that you could interact with and move and rotate. And what Nissan found with that banner ad was engagement was eight times higher than traditional banner ads. Wow. Um, and so these swirl ads, they started testing them about a year ago. And two weeks ago, they finally made it available to the public. And so that's something that you're going to start seeing, you know, when you're scrolling online, I'd say probably within the next few months, maybe even faster, just because, you know, a lot of people are at home and brands are trying to figure out how do we reach people. So are these ads available on the computer or do you need some kind of virtual space to interact with them? Nope, they're available on the computer. Literally just think about your traditional 2D banner ad that you would see. And what Google does with their Swirl ad is it's just like there's an interactive 3D object in the app. Okay. So, you know, it's not going to be 3D where it comes to live in your space. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think I've come across them, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah, you, you probably have. Or Actually, before we get too deep into this, Alina, you've, you're so into it, and I love it. <laughs> you're throwing out a few terms that I feel like we should probably cover for our listeners. Uh, could you maybe take a second to describe the differences between AR and VR? And I've heard of mixed reality. I don't know if you kind of covered that, but I'd love to hear how you would describe the differences to someone listening to the podcast. Yeah, so think of virtual reality as you are inside of an entirely digitized environment. And so you have the headset on and the world that you're in doesn't reflect that of the world that you physically are living in right now. And so, you know, if we were in VR right now doing this podcast, maybe we could be talking on a virtual beach or talking in space or talking underwater. Whereas augmented reality is you're taking digital elements and you're placing them into your current environment. Now, the big example that everybody likes to cite is Pokemon Go. Uh, that was really the first big augmented reality experience that you know got a lot of traction, got a lot of eyes, and it was the Pokemon were you know almost like they were in that your physical environment with you. Another big example of augmented reality would be Snapchat filters or Instagram filters, where you're doing something to digitally augment your face. Now, mixed reality, on the other hand, is kind of the merging of augmented reality and virtual reality where you're going to maybe seamlessly switch between these digital environments and these augmented environments that's a great explanation of these differences i guess uh, which one in your mind do you feel like is more relevant now well i think it depends on how we're talking about relevancy okay if we're looking at relevant in terms of the ability to maybe impact somebody's perception and maybe really change the way somebody's learning 
I would definitely say virtual reality just because there's a certain power that comes within being inside of an entirely new headspace. And a lot of VR companies like to tout how their technology is distraction free because, you know, you're focused within that VR space. Um, and there are some VR companies that have done things to look at diversity and inclusion trainings in VR and measuring that at scale and how doing DNI exercises in VR leads to a better learning outcome or better impact than making people take you know, traditional classes where they just have to sit and listen to an instructor. Instructor, But on the other hand, if we're looking at maybe just accessibility or a consumer-facing impact, I'm going to say augmented reality just because everybody has a smartphone right now. Most people have smartphones. And with AR, your smartphone is the window into that new world. Not everybody has a VR headset. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good just point. Just based on the consumer tech. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I'm more interested in virtual reality just because I think that there's a lot that you can do with the technology. Uh, and I just find it to be more exciting. But that's kind of just a personal opinion. I know that that's something that could vary around for people in the industry. Right, right. Okay, well, well let's use that to dive into it because we were basically trying to decide which one should we focus on first here. Mm -hmm. So let's go first into VR, I guess. And the big thing that I've seen in just my little cursory looking into VR so far has been that it seems a lot more is being used when you go to like businesses and you know for trainings as you mentioned before and that yes there's oculus yes there's stuff for gaming but it seems like as far as consumers go there's not really a lot of vr tech out there and it's kind of like what the 80s or i guess the late 70s and the 80s were for computers where you had businesses using them but they hadn't invaded the home yet and become a staple of the everyday person's lives. Yeah, and I would say that that's definitely true. Uh, and part of it is also just kind of a supply side. VR has been VR's been around for a while, um, depending on what definition of VR that you're going by. But I think that VR really started to spike up in interest because in 2014, Facebook acquired Oculus, and then they started to invest more money into researching the effects of the technology and researching the development. And then they... Uh, released, you know, their version of an Oculus headset. And then last year they released what was called the Oculus Quest, which was a tetherless VR headset. And so it's a VR headset where you don't need to have a beefy PC in order to power it up and you don't need to have any type of wires. Everything is all baked into that headset. And before to get into VR, it had a higher barrier of entry because you needed around an $800 headset and then a PC that was at least $800 because it had to have the computing power powerful enough to run it. And now we have the Quest headset, which is around $400 and you don't need to deal with any of the wires or any of the other technology. And so that's been really nice because we have seen more of an interest in VR from it. But you know, on the consumer side, it's not everybody has a headset yet. Um, and the nice thing is with enterprise clients is enterprise tends to have a little bit more budget to dip into and invest in these technologies. But with that being said, the Quest headset was a real hot ticket item for the holiday seasons, uh, for Christmas and you know holidays in 2019. Yeah, it was, it was sold out mm -hmm. pretty much. It was sold out from, like I think, end of November pretty much up until I'd say about two, three weeks ago. Uh, so end of November to early July, because then you had the holidays... And then in March, you know, the pandemic really started to kick in and more people realized, oh, wait, this could be something viable to use while I'm stuck inside. And so I would say the consumer interest is there, but just supply also hasn't been able to meet demand too. Something interesting we actually talked about earlier in this episode was that yeah. Facebook and Sony are ramping up their Oculus uh, production. So they're going to be boosting their production units by 50% 
uh, for their VR headsets, which I think kind of shows this increasing demand. And they've started to really polish their headsets now that it's standalone. I think it's more accessible. More people can dip their toes into a whole new experience. Yeah, but definitely they're going to ramp up production. And that is something that I'm a little bit curious about. Uh, and I don't know anything, you know, this is just me making a prediction, but I wonder if at the beginning, you know, the Facebook team knew that the Quest was going to have some interest and if they limited their supply a little bit. So that way, you know, these news stories would build up about, oh, the low supply, about the buzz. Um, that's just a little conspiracy theory that I have, but there's no validation to that. But I am excited to see, okay, ramping up production, yes, and so more availability. But more importantly, within the next two or three years, probably two years, maybe even a year from now, uh, the next generation of headsets that are coming out. So it's already rumored that, you know, Quest, our Oculus is planning on what they're going to do for the Quest 2 and even what the PSVR 2 might look like. And I'm excited to see these headsets because I think they're going to be lighter weight, better battery, and you know better field of view, and just better graphics. Uh, and I think that when these second generations of headsets come out, that's when we're going to see a really big spike in consumer interest. Can I ask, what headset are you using now? So right now, I use the Oculus Quest, and I love it because, yeah, I don't need to have a PC or I don't need to have any other type of wires to set it up. My first headset that I bought was the PSVR. And the thing that I don't like about the PSVR is you have to be wired in and you need to be facing the PlayStation camera when you're working. So on the Vive or even the old Rift headset, you'd have these towers that you could set up across your room. And so if you moved around, you know, in a full 360 or 180, your camera would still pick you up or your laser tracker, depending on what headset you used, would still pick you up. Whereas with the PSVR, you need to be facing the PlayStation camera. And so you're really kind of limited to just staying um, in one position. And it just doesn't make for as enjoyable VR. But I will say, though, that the graphics on the PlayStation VR are really nice. And I think the graphics on there are nicer than the graphics that I see on the Quest. But ultimately, graphics isn't the big selling point for me. I think it's just overall, what does the experience entail and what can you do? So what can you do is a big thing for me because... We're Seth and I are both notoriously we mention it often on this podcast are not gamers so really it seems like for me the reason I haven't gotten into VR so far is that the biggest use that companies can point towards to consumers is gaming mm -hmm. so make an argument or try to convince me that there's some other reason I should be interested in it currently yeah uh, for consumers. Or, or maybe gaming is the reason like maybe we're we don't know what we're missing out on so for me honestly I used to be a big gamer uh, so I had an older brother so I was a big gamer when I was in elementary school and middle school and then I hit high school and just got busy and ended up giving up games and I'm not saying that I'm the world's largest gamer, but I do really love popping into new VR experiences just to see how they're being constructed. And at least on my end, whenever I pop into a game, you know, I'm kind of analyzing it and seeing, oh, why did they make this decision? Or why did they choose this design or this layout? And I'm seeing it as how am I building up my knowledge for the future of VR experiences and ultimately kind of the future of how we're going to interact and use this medium. And so I think one thing would be if you're gaming, you could almost justify it as research, which, you know, maybe will make you feel a little bit less guilty when you're popping into an experience. But there are some really nice VR games that are out there. And I think that just playing a video game in VR is entirely different than that of playing your traditional, you know, 2D game or any type of traditional experience and just popping into a VR headset, you know, I, it just feels exciting because it feels like you're on the cusp of something what, new. What would be one of the, what would be like your favorite game right now? 
example. You mentioned those, some good ones. I don't know about my favorite game right now, but I think I finally hopped into Echo VR, which is, I'm going to try to describe it. And Chris Milk, who is somebody uh, who is a big influencer within the space, he likes to say that talking about VR is like dancing to describe architecture. And it really is something that you need to, <laughs> yeah, you, you need to experience it in order to understand it. But essentially imagine combining quidditch with robots and dodgeball okay and it's a sporting game that you know people some people play competitively and i've only played it a couple different times but i just remember when i went in i just thought wow you know even in the next 20 years our current maybe 25 years our current perspective on sport is going to shift you know we're seeing the rise of esports but a lot of esports tend to be based on what you're traditionally playing now. So, you know, you got FIFA with soccer or Madden with football. Um, and then you have other esports that are merging. But we're going to see an entirely new genre or new type of sport emerge. Uh, but what else I wanted to say is taking a step away from gaming, which I do think it is nice to just to step inside in an entirely new environment and just feel like you're somewhere new and really feel like you're getting involved in the game. But um, there's a lot going on in terms of vr for maybe things on the mental health or physical health end so one experience that i really really like is called supernatural and it's made by that same guy chris milk who i just quoted uh two minutes ago um and essentially it's a vr workout app where they have ties with somewhere within the music industry and every day they release a 20 to 35 minute workout um, and the workouts are all timed to different songs. And this can be a mix of current pop songs. So, you know, The Weeknd and Dua Lipa, or you might hear older songs like maybe Fleetwood Mac um, or The Eagles. And I just think that it's a really nice experience because it's like I'm working out, but it's gamified. And at the same time, you do some stretches before and a little meditation when you finish. And you're also placed inside of these really beautiful 360 environments. And so... You know, I'm being physically active, but at the same time, I'm putting my brain in this sort of rest state. And so I think that there's going to be a lot in terms of VR for physical and mental health that will emerge. And I think that it's really important for people to set aside time to, you know, activate those parts of their bodies. And especially with us be spending so much time at home right now, we might not necessarily being as active as we once were. And VR is a great way to stimulate that activity. I completely agree with that. I also think, you know, one of the other ways to focus on mental health is like empathy and kind of learning and understanding what other people think. And I've even seen examples of VR being used as a self-treatment for patients because when you put on a VR headset, it's so immersive. Uh, your body interprets it as reality. Like your mind knows everything is fake, but your sensory system is unable to perceive that and it, it basically encodes all of that as real experiences and i saw an example of where um, a patient was both the patient where they would sit and uh you know say their problems and then the vr headset would pull them out of their vr body and put them in the body of an instructor and it kind of gave them a whole new lens to view the world mm -hmm. and i also think like that's one way in storytelling being immersed in new environments you mentioned being transported for working out, but that can also be being transported to a new part of the world to understand what's going on there, to understand, um, I don't know, maybe something political that's happening and to kind of communicate a story in a new and immersive way that we previously haven't been able to do before. 
Yeah, and that's something. So at the Glimpse Group, we have some subsidiaries that are stepping into that space. We have Fortel Reality, which is using social VR for therapy and support purposes and also for soft skill and corporate collaboration purposes. So when you're talking about embodiment, what Fortel has done is they did one study with uh, Yale University where Yale took cancer patients who traditionally might have to go to the hospital in order to have a support group. So, you know, we're going into the hospital, we're having a facilitated support group about what it's like right now with our cancer treatment and how we're feeling going through chemo and how we're feeling, you know, just overall with uh, being in the hospital. And instead of having to go to the hospital for the support groups, they were able to do their support group sessions at home just with a VR headset. And the study is still ongoing, but at least in the initial findings, Dr. Asher Marks, who's the Yale doctor leading the study, is finding that VR can be a great way to help these patients reduce their sense of anxiety and maybe even potentially reduce levels of uh, depression too. And, you know, there can be a lot of different factors that could point to that. And I think one thing would be, okay, the convenience of being able to have this access to therapy while in their own homes, you know, while in the comfort of being at home and they don't have to go into the hospital, which maybe could trigger a sort of negative headspace. And then at the same time, when they're in VR, they're embodying these different types of avatars and maybe they're not seeing themselves as somebody who is sick, but they're seeing themselves as somebody who is more healthy and maybe they feel a little bit more comfortable with talking about what's going on. Another subsidiary company that we have is called Immersive Health Group and they focus on VR and AR solutions for the healthcare sector. And one thing that they did is they worked with our Boston University, had them build a VR simulation for their medical students and their medical program um, focused on a VR simulation where essentially the medical student could play the role of the doctor, the social worker, or the patient. And by playing all three roles, they got a better comprehensive view of what the healthcare system is like for different perspectives. Specifically, this VR study or simulation that they did focused on a concept called social determinants of health. Um, essentially, social determinants of health are looking at what other factors could maybe contribute to somebody's health and overall sense of well-being. So for example, maybe I go to the hospital and I, as the patient, tell you I'm not feeling well, and you as the doctor, you know, you run through all the tests and you don't see anything wrong with me, but you didn't stop to have a discussion about, you know, personal factors that could be influencing me. Maybe I'm not feeling well because I uh, don't make enough money and I actually am not able to buy myself enough food. Or maybe I'm not feeling well because I'm living in an environment that is unwell for me. And it's a big push to kind of get doctors to acknowledge these other determinants of health. And so this exercise, let the doctors practice asking those more personal questions. And then also let the doctors practice what it's like to be in a, a patient perspective to give those responses or to hear what it's like to interact with the doctor while talking about these more intimate issues. Yeah, it's kind of amazing like how VR can open your eyes to, to whole new viewpoints. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really brings a level of empathy, which actually it instills a lot of hope in me, uh, considering the times that we're in now and where people are, you know, the most polarized in political sense, but also just unwilling to step into someone else's shoes and even acknowledge that someone else might have a different experience of life than them. So I think this really, yeah, it's hopeful. I think with the doctor example, I, I mean, it's so incredible how VR can be used for learning and teaching. And I think, Elena, you already brought up that we remember uh, more of what we learn in virtual reality than what we do in a normal classroom. Yeah. And I think that's like the, a huge opportunity where you can remember more. And it's almost like in the olden days when 
I remember my dad telling me this when uh, people told stories, they would memorize parts of the story in association with uh, 3D spaces. So like in the Colosseum, one, each pillar of the Colosseum would be uh, one part of the story and you could like walk around and um, remember each part as you got to the, the object in the real world. And I think when you're learning in 3D space, like all of a sudden, not only is it more tangible, but I think it just helps you encode and remember the information so much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm an avid reader. Like I love reading books, love reading magazines, love keeping up with the news. But there is something about learning in virtual reality. And that speaks to what you're talking about, Stenson, where humans were spatial learners. We learn spatially by that type of association. And by being in these VR simulations, you know, we're able to make those same spatial connections. Well, that's a good transition, I think, into AR, because I, I heard somewhere that someone was comparing VR to kind of, you know, we've been for the past hundred years looking at media through a frame, whether it's a, you know, TV screen, our phones now, or even back to paintings way back when. And VR is stepping into that, but AR is essentially taking that and throwing that into the real world. So what is going on in the augmented reality space? Because personally, uh, since Google Glass, I've been disappointed, but I'm renewing hope as I'm seeing some stuff come out with like what people are doing with the HoloLens, what Apple might be doing this fall. As you mentioned, what they did with Pokemon Go, I got way too far into that when that was out. And But other than games, yeah, what is happening with AR? Yeah, you said it right there, Google Glass. Google Glass was a little too early, and it was a little too early, A, on the technology side, and then also B, just on the overall consumer thought side. You know, it seemed scary. It seemed too futuristic. It seemed like, you know, I don't want to always have a screen next to my face. But now we're at a point where consumers are warming up to the idea where they realize the utility. And right now, you know, our smartphones are like a second extension of our hands and smart glasses. You know, why not try to swap the smartphone for smart glasses, especially if there's a lot of enhanced utility that can come with it. And aside from, you know, just what the technology can do, you do have a lot of players that are entering the space. So, yeah, Apple, Google. Um, Samsung, I know Bose tried to release some augmented reality glasses and ultimately, oh God. It, yeah, yes. it did fail. <laughs> uh, I, I never got to try them myself, but you know, I, I people that used them, I heard that they enjoyed them, but there just wasn't enough AR only apps for the Bose glasses. But I, I, I actually forgot your original question. Just kind of what, what are my thoughts on smart glasses now or where AR is heading? Yeah, basically that was kind of, I mean, Stetson might have a better way to frame yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, I guess how are consumers using AR? I think prime examples is we've seen Apple build it into their new iPhones with the Measure app. And I think we're starting to see brands kind of embrace it a little bit too with Ikea Place. You can now place furniture in your home. I think I remember seeing an ad on Twitter from Best Buy, like, like see if this TV will fit in your living room. You can I, actually, I actually tried it. It was pretty cool right yeah so i guess elena from your experiences what have you experienced with ar so far and i guess where do you see it heading yeah what have you experienced with ar so far i mean common examples come to mind would be a lot of different filters on social media or even i was at the mit vr and ar hackathon back in january and my team we actually built a spatial ar experience in snapchat we kind of hacked away at snapchat in order to make it happen um but I would say right now, a lot of brands are trying to figure out what do we do if we can't have our regular activations or in-person events, how can we reach people? And they're starting to turn towards AR even more. Uh, I yeah, think- one, mm -hmm. OnePlus is yeah, doing yeah. that this month, uh, Tuesday. Yeah, 
Oh, really? What are they doing? Yeah. Uh, they're launching their new, the phone, the OnePlus Nord, we actually talked about it earlier on this episode. They're doing a full AR experience that you can download the app on Apple or Android and make an avatar. And I don't know what it's going to be exactly, but it looks pretty interesting. Oh, okay. I haven't heard about that. So I'll have to look into that on Tuesday then. Yeah. I, I, it's, I mean, hopefully our viewers all get this all work overtime <laughs> to edit this episode and get it up so that our viewers know about uh, it. Wait, wait, let me fix. Wow. I heard about this. This was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah, you. No, easier think, on the editor now. Yeah. Great, perfect. Multiple <laughs> It sounded takes. so convincing. Um, but I think so prior to COVID, you could see a lot of brands and organizations were leaning more towards in-person activations overall kind of looking at our generation, you know, the late millennial, early Gen Z, we're starting to get more interested in just the experience economy. You know, we're valuing less of things and we're valuing more of experiences. And so brands and big companies are responding to that by doing, you know, really cool pop-ups or different things at events. And now you know, we don't really know when events are going to go back to normal. Even uh, two days ago, I was in a meeting and I was hearing updates that, oh, it might be like this for two years, which. Uh, yeah, let's. Yeah, let's that's scary to hear. Yeah, yeah, I will not, be ordering my not. VR headset can we, right can we, after this. Can we <laughs> yeah. re-record that and say one year? Because I think people aren't going to be able to handle it. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully one year. One month. I don't know. I wish I could wave a magic wand and, you know. Yeah have it all be over but brands are trying to figure out what do we do people are valuing experiences but we can't do what we originally thought you know an in-person experience was how are we going to foster that same sense of delight and connection and so they're starting to invest more into making these immersive experiences be them with vr and ar or with other digital technologies so a big example would be Fortnite. about two and a half months ago did a concert with travis scott and Travis Scott's avatar was there, and it was literally- Yeah, I saw of, this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the thing was, is they realized, well, how do we break our old paradigm on live event and make something entirely new? Because we're working with a new medium, what can we do with this medium? So it wasn't just, oh, sit in a crowd and watch Travis Scott perform, but it was be part of the crowd and watch Travis Scott as he transforms sizes, as he changes material, as he changes the environment that you're in. You know, you're not just listening to him, but you're- doing this entire encapsulating experience. And so I think we're going to see a lot more brands, you know, look into what can we do with this technology? And yeah, some interesting things that you pointed out. Okay, so IKEA has their app or other brands are trying to, you know, do a virtual try-on or augmented try-on. So another company that we have, QReal at the Glimpse Group, QReal focuses on lifelike AR and, you know, these really great social media activations. So they were the one that worked with Google on the Swirl ads. And they did something with Bolet, which is a sunglasses manufacturer, where if you tried the front-facing camera, you could see what Bolet's sunglasses looked like on you. But then if you turned it to the back-facing camera, you could see how you would see the world if you were wearing their oh, sunglasses. Wow. That's so, yeah, a really so it was clever. it's a try-on and try-out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a clever activation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in terms of coming up, okay, so you just talked about that release that's going to happen on Tuesday, or that experience that will happen on Tuesday. And I think within the next year or two, we're going to see a lot more cameras, at least on smartphones, that will have depth sensing. And depth sensing cameras can enable you to do a lot uh, more complex augmented reality. So one quick example would be occlusion. You know, how does your augmented reality experience react when there is an object in front of it? So 
the new iPad that was just released uh, about three months ago, that one in included a depth sensing camera. And if you look at the promo video for the iPad, you know, it shows somebody playing a game and the AR experience recognizes the table and will move behind the table or move on top of the table. The new iPhone 12 that's coming out, uh, it should be in September, but I don't know if COVID's going to change the production timeline or not. Stenson, you would know this because you're the phone guy. Yeah, it, do you know when the I new think we're we're still hearing rumors that it's going to be pushed back somewhat similar to what the iPhone 10 was, uh, I think, when that came out. It was announced September mm -hmm. and then it officially came out, I believe, October or maybe that was uh, actually November. But yeah, we have to wait and see. You know, Apple has been working on this for a long time. The rumors are circulating. We just don't know for sure until it's actually here. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to see more phones that will have depth sensing. And then even looking within the next year or two, you're going to see more phones that will have 5G capability. And with 5G, we're just going to be able to, you know, put better real-time augmented reality experiences on your phone. Because right now, if you're trying real-time stuff, you know, you are a little bit more limited. But with 5G, you know, it should be more interactive and potentially more realistic looking experiences too. Wait, you said the company QReal is under you uh, yeah. or the Glimpse. You guys don't have anything to do with that company. I saw Enreal that does the glasses. No, we don't. No. But okay. Enreal, I mean, that's like a, another tangent, but yeah. AR headsets as a whole, like it's still, I think they're still developing. Like the most impressive one I've seen is HoloLens too. Yep. Um, that's but expensive the one issue, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's also why a lot of it is invested in enterprise because- enterprise clients can drop the big bucks true true yeah. yeah do you think do you think for me i was looking at it and it seems like that is the type of thing or i mean ar headsets in general are the type of thing where you need we need like a certain technology breakthrough in either battery maybe wireless uh, the ability to transfer power wirelessly you know over long distances or processors just getting down to a size that they are so small so efficient that it won't feel like this huge bulky thing on your head yes 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 and yes <laughs> Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that there's a lot of advancements that need to be made. And I think it's also being conscious of who's included in the design decisions. So you asked me just about the Enreal headset. And the one thing with Enreal is I've had people that have tried it and they really, really like the headset. And then other people that try it and the experience isn't quite right. I know for me, it wasn't quite right. And part of it is because Enreal, you know, is based out of Asia and just the headset is designed for more of a homogenous head shape. Huh. And so if you're within, you know, people that have that certain type of head shape, then the headset feels comfortable. And what you're seeing within the field of view for the AR glasses, you know, looks nice. But if you're not, you know, you have to adjust and mess around with it. Um, but overall, my thoughts on a lot of AR headsets that are out there is it doesn't feel like a full augmented experience it kind of just feels as if oh okay you're wearing glasses in here we're going to give you this teeny little window within your glasses where stuff is digital and it almost feels as if you're just slapping a tv screen onto my glasses yeah i guess my question is like why bother why not just get a vr headset and create your workspace in vr get a much higher fidelity higher uh, resolution better interactions better experience and just like work in a more open cube where you can you know walk around and, and do stuff mm -hmm. yeah and i think that that's also why i'm more excited by vr is i feel like there's a lot more that you can do with the technology at least right now you know ar definitely wants to take some more time to advance uh but it's also it is important to you know recognize your real surroundings and see what you can do to enhance your current experience and so there can be a lot that you can do with 
potentially where augmented reality glasses might go. So, you know, maybe it could even be something as going to the grocery store. And if you have a peanut allergy, you know, everything with peanuts in it will have a big red X on it. So, you know, or going, you know, to a new location. And instead of having to open Google Maps to look, oh, what street? What do I do? Where do I go? You can just see arrows, you know, guiding you and pointing out on where to go. And so I think that there's different uses for just different purposes. Uh, And I think VR and AR technology shouldn't try to be a one size fits all. Like we should specifically try to design for what experiences are best for each medium. Sweet. Well, I think that kind of covers a huge spectrum. I mean, we literally stepped into an entire different world with this episode of the podcast. So Elena, I want to thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Find me on um, LinkedIn or Twitter at Elena, E-L-E-N-A, Peach, P-I-E-C-H. And then my Twitter is at E-L-E-P-I-E-C-H. And to learn a little bit more about the Glimpse Group and what we're doing when it comes to the lovely, sexy world of enterprise, B2B and B2B to C, VR and AR solutions, find us at theglimpsegroup.com. Sweet. Thank you so much. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And we look forward to talking to you. Well, Elena. Elena can say her name. Oh, Oh. I'm Elena. I'm in a cabin in the woods. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. I know somebody who knows somebody that's already working on the Oculus Quest 2. And I've tried to ask that person for details. Yeah, I've tried to ask for details. Take them out for drinks. On the headset. And I can't get any type of information. Um, Uh, It's going to be so good, though. You know it's gonna be good. When will yeah. it, when will we hit levels of Ready Player One? That's the real question everyone wants to know. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing that I. Stephen, have you watched this movie yet? First, I have not seen it. I've seen the trailers. Oh, okay. Gosh, that should have been all your research right there. <laughs>